0: Good morning. It is a lovely day, even though it's cold outside, but it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's all relatively cold. All right, so uh, if you're here for the first time, welcome. If you brought a friend, good for you. You are entered now into our uh, million-dollar raffle. We'll pay that off a dollar a year for the next one million years, but you are now entered in it. Just kidding, we don't have a million-dollar raffle. So thanks for bringing your friends. I'm Dr. Patrick Cameron, and I'm the, the spiritual director here at the Center for Spiritual Living. And we have a bit of a ritual that most of you are familiar with, so we're going to uh, drop into some silence together, and then sing a song, a chant, and then I'll offer an affirmative prayer. And so you're, you're singing. Sets me up for the prayer. So sing good. Okay. All right. I need all the help I can get. All right. Let's just drop into some silence. Just bask in the moment of this beautiful, beautiful environment and one another's consciousness. Let's begin. One Spirit, one Spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to know with me, allowing my words to be your words, and if they don't fit, let them wash over you. I affirm and know this one activity, that there is nothing going on but God, that God is everywhere present, in and through and as all of life. And so wherever I am challenged, triggered, distracted, confused, anxious, in fear, whatever it may be, I know it is simply because I forget that God is all that is going on. And so I invite you to join me in the feeling tone, feel our way into the presence because it is who and what we are as it says in scripture the holy spirit resides within each and every one of us this was known thousands of years ago and is our opportunity to actionize that and to live from that in more fruitful powerful and ways that bless not just our lives but everyone's life and so i give thanks this day for this opportunity to be together in community This opportunity to slow down, to presence ourselves with one another's light, love, gifts, talents, resources. Let us know that whatever is longing in our heart, whatever is seeking clarity in our awareness, that this force for good is working for us in purposeful ways as we are about the activity of simply being present To the truth of who and what we are, and to welcome that experience, that information, that support, and that love. For this, I give thanks, and invite you to say with me. And so it is. Lovely day, lovely day. So we are. I am the place where abundance shows up. And as as Robin mentioned in our uh, announcements, this is uh, we're using Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money, this month. It's a wonderful book on abundance and, and prosperity. And Lynn writes in the, in the introduction here, I think, a, a very lovely paragraph um, pertaining to this, and I think captures uh, s- such a beautiful um, perspective of what abundance looks like and can feel like and, and can mean for us. She writes, in the honest, bold, and thoughtful examination of our relationship with money, we find some truth, and in that truth, whatever it is, we can find enormous possibility and surprising power. The Soul of Money offers a way to realign our relationship with money to be more truthful, free, and potent, enabling us to live a life of integrity and full of self-expression that is consistent with our deepest core values, no matter what our financial circumstances. This book is not about turning away from money or simplifying expenditures or doing budgets or financial planning, although the wisdom gained will be relevant to all those activities. This book is about living consciously, fully, and joyfully in our relationship with money, and learning to understand and embrace its flow. Consciously, joyfully, and fully in relationship with life, I would add. And that wherever we're experiencing energy blocked in us, where things are not moving as we know they should be, it's our opportunity to to look at that. So, um, This idea I wanted to discuss with you today is not enough or more than enough. And part of what uh, Reverend Dr. Gary Simmons has brought to our community is this, he's invited us because we are launching the community into a um, mission-centric program. And part of that is to try out this idea of transforming lives. Why are we here? Why do we exist as as an entity? We're here to transform lives. And so everything then, when we know that, and see, I think that's easier for you to remember. It's easier for me to remember, but that's our mission. And so then what it helps us do is line up whether or not our activity and how we're being and how we're behaving and how we're uh, responding to life is lining up with transforming lives. So it makes it very simple, but I think at the end of the day, it's a brilliant uh, articulation of our our why. So programs, lesson, activities. And at 1 o'clock today, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as some other things, and that's why we have a series of, uh, of uh, gatherings, planting seeds, because there's a lot of information. There's a number of modules involved. It's a three- to five-year process of transformation, and it's quite exciting. It's really wonderful stuff. Dr. Gary has spent 20 years devoted to this, uh, this work. So I wanted to, to talk today about one of the parables of Jesus because I think it's a great illustration around abundance, and, you know, he was so brilliant. He, he taught in parables because stories help us challenge the, the concretized thinking of the day. They help break down some of the structures of what we've known to be up until this point and just simply accept. But in this story of the talents uh, is a beautiful illustration of what I think um, abundance can be for us and, and as us. And so he was such a brilliant guy because I think he was making this stuff up as he went along on the fly, so to speak, which is really remarkable. But I know that he was divinely guided in, in his, uh, his journey as well. And so talents, of course, in our culture, our current culture, talents are very important. We worship talent in the modern culture. You know, are there any hockey fans here? Anybody here follow the local hockey team? Probably a couple. And I know a lot of your prayers are going to see the team, the local team, win two games in a row eventually. But I mean, here's a young guy like uh, Connor McDavid and, and you know, I guess he's not feeling well and he's lost weight and things like that, but there's talent. I mean, this is talent, right? We love talent. Here's, here's Mallory singing her songs. Her CDs, by the way, are back there. If, you'll, if she did a tribute to Leonard Cohen, so if you'd like a Christmas gift for somebody, they're back there. And, uh, but there's talent. And we our, our, our musicians, they're talent. But we, we really honor and, and love talent. But talent... In the time of Jesus that he was talking about, uh, was really around a a sum of money, is what talents represented. And so it was really gold. Talents represented gold. And so in the story, it's the the man, or the master, and he has three servants. And he says, fellas, I'm going to go on a trip, and I'm going to give you each an amount of money, you're going to each get an amount of gold, and I would like you to do well with it. I'm going to gift you this, not for you, it's it's my money, but you're going to invest it on my behalf. And so he didn't ask them to withdraw it from their savings. He didn't give it to them as a gift, as I've said. He didn't loan them the money. He just simply said, here, you guys are going to be stewards of this. And so there's great wisdom in what Jesus was conveying because the servants were supposed to invest the money for the man and the man expected a return on the money and he entrusted each servant so he gave five bags of gold to one servant, he gave two bags of gold to another and one bag of gold to the last man, and he divided it determined by ability. So in a, a politically correct environment we live in, the tendency is that everyone gets everything equally. And many times it doesn't work out that way. That's, that's been my experience anyway, but that but it's, it's not an equal playing field for a variety of reasons. And one of them is ability. So just to break it down a little bit for you, talents was a unit of measurement in this day. So a talent was 60 minyas. A minya is 50 shekels, two bekkas in a shekel, and a bekkah is 10 shearers. So now you know how to make change if you go to Israel, okay? (laughs) A talent at the time weighed 75 pounds. 33 kilos was a talent. Do you know what 75 pounds of, of gold is worth in today? <laughs> about 1.2 million. It's about six, so the first guy got $6 million. He wasn't just handing, handing out nickels. I, was gonna, I said pennies at the first service, but we don't do pennies anymore. God, God bless the Canadian government for figuring that one out. But, but anyway, he wasn't handing out uh, chump change. This was big money. So the first guy got the equivalent of $6 million. The second guy got two of those, so he got 2.4 million. And then the last guy, he just got 1.2. And he gave it out once again in proportion to their ability, which I think is very, very insightful. The servant with the five bags of gold invested the money, and he earned five more. So he got to work right away. He took that money, and he went out, and he he doubled it. And the guy with two bags went out, and he doubled it as well. And the guy with one bag, what did he do? he spent it? Did you say he spent it? I'm going to get you a Bible. We got to start getting some Bibles in that bookstore. Good guess. No, he buried it. He dug a hole in the ground and he buried it. And he hid the master's money. So the first two guys, they just got on it. They were just like they're just like Dwayne and Steve are back there selling raffle tickets today, and they're just on it. And they got this thing going. A wonderful idea for Christmas and to help uh, uh, generate some revenue here within our community. So it's just a wonderful thing. So the first guy came, in when the man, when the man and, and the man really represents Christ, okay? I mean, the man, the man came back from his trip, and he called the first guy in, and he said, How'd you do? And he said, sir, he said, you gave me five bags and I have doubled the investment and I have five bags more to give back to you. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are awesome. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. And so he, he lets that man move on and the second man comes in and he said, how'd you do? And he said, well, he said, you gave me two bags and I doubled that. Here's four bags for you. He said, oh. My good and faithful servant, you have been—you've done well, and so now, not only that, I can give both of you more things to be responsible for. So let's celebrate. Let's celebrate together. So now he's got two guys to celebrate with. So honoring their accomplishment and saying, not only this, I have more things for you. And then, of course, the first guy comes in. The la- I'm sorry, the last guy comes in with one bag, and he said. Uh, How'd you do? And he said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. This doesn't sound anything like the first two guys, does it? I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. And he pulls them back and gives them back what he gave him. And the master replied, You wicked and faithless servant. That's pretty harsh from Jesus, Huh? He said, if you knew I was a man who was harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I did not cultivate, why the heck didn't you just deposit the money in the bank so I'd have made something instead of burying it? He said, take the bag of gold from that one guy and give it to this guy over here with 10 bags right now. And then he said, for those those who use well what is given them, even more will be provided and they will have abundance. For those that use well what is given them, will be provided, and they'll have it, and they will have abundance. They'll have even more. But for those who do not, what little they have will be taken away. Throw this worth. Then he says this: Throw this worthless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and mashing of teeth. Pretty harsh stuff from Jesus. But what's he trying to say here in this parable? Ernest Tolm said this, and it, and because this first man is suffering. He said, suffering is salutary in that it leads us to a place where we will learn it is unnecessary. We shall cease to suffer as we more and more comply with the law of the universe. All suffering is some infringement of these laws. So in other words, when we're suffering, it's just a, a loving indicator that we're in, out of alignment with the truth of our being, our core beliefs. The Q process, which we brought here and we're bringing back in February, with Dr. Gary Simmons addresses this exactly. Wherever we get triggered, wherever we're suffering, we get a chance to look at it. So in other words, we embrace conflict so that we can project peace because what we do is we become a vehicle. We become a center of transformation. Because as you notice, as soon as the guy brought in the guy with one bag that buried the money and said, how'd you do... He doesn't start out taking any responsibility or ownership. He starts blaming the guy, the man. He's doing the man's agenda for him. You didn't do this. You're taking crops that you didn't plant, and you're harvesting things that you had nothing to do with. What's that got to do with me giving you a bag of money? But isn't that what many people do? Let's fix the blame instead of fixing the problem. How loud can we complain? That'll help. But isn't that, I mean, that is just, that's that's the world we live in. Let's find out who's at fault and let's blame them. And and some of that is appropriate, but it's a way of life. And and so here's the the one guy with the bag of money, had an opportunity, could have put it in and earned simple interest off the 1.2 million. Never occurred to him. So to defend himself, he blames. He projects onto the, the man. He's doing the man's inventory for him. But isn't this interesting? Over 2,000 years ago, this story came along. Now, I don't know if Jesus told this story or not. I suspect something like this happened. I wasn't there. People tell me this happened, and I'm going to go with that for today. Otherwise, I've got no talk for you. But the point is, is that whether it happened or not, truth is truth, and it's a story of truth. But also, with his, the point is that God has given gifts to us all. Each one of us has gifts, and that's what this story's about. It's not about money. It's about each one of us has been given unique gifts that if we don't cultivate and share and deliver, we all lose. And this is the stewardship. See, and one of the, the interesting things about the story is he didn't give the guys the money because it wasn't theirs, but it's, a, it, it's an example of we think the stuff we have in our lives is ours. I think, I don't have any money with me today, by the way, but when I have money in my pockets... I think it's mine. I think my time is mine. But all of it is a gift from source. Every bit of it. I'm not taking any of this with me. I mean, I, I, and so what I'm here though, is I, don't throw, but I'm here to, to be a steward for it. I have been given, you and I have been given an opportunity to be stewards of the gifts. Whatever that may be, whatever we're guided to, whatever the creativity may be, whatever that divine urge is that Dr. Holmes so beautifully articulated, one of my favorite things that hooked me with this teaching was the divine urge, which is completely opposite the way I was domesticated. But we all have these divine urges to fulfill, and so to understand this. So God has given gifts to all of us. Throughout scripture, it speaks of gifts. Everything we have is a gift from source, each and every one of us. And if we look back at the story that the, the servants did not own the money, they were entrusted to manage it. Such a key point. All of life is a gift from God, and we are called to manage it well. We have a tendency to think our stuff, our money, is ours. I worked hard, and what I have is mine. Even my time is mine. But all of, all of these gifts are from God, from source. The next piece in this, this uh, narrative is the idea of, of accountability. Each man was given a different amount. So, have you ever noticed, like, you've, you get the new car? Have you ever? I've had one new vehicle in my life. But, you know, you get the new car and it's, you're driving it, and then your neighbor a month later buys the, twice the car. And you're like, oh, oh, and it just takes the wind out of your, your car owning capacity for a while. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. It gets you nowhere. You know, the comparison is the thief of joy. And a part of it is the accountability. So, there, is accountability, this story is one of about accountability. Accountability is not a bad thing, it pushes us to be our best. Accountability doesn't have to be negative, it doesn't have to be painful. The master didn't say, Now, you guys go ahead, you did good. You two guys over here, you made a lot of money, go ahead and retire. He didn't say that. What the man says is, Now I can give you more to do because you've proven yourself. You're good with this amount, and now you can do better. You can do more. Take good care of what you have. You know, there was no reason last year to put $160,000 worth of uh, capital improvements into this building. There could be the argument made, geez, we don't have the money to do any of that. Let's not do it. That's not good stewardship. And so what we did is we got enough people together to say we do have enough. There is enough to do this. And we did it. That's standing in faith. It isn't burying what we have in a hole. It's saying, let's do this. So accountability. You and I have been gifted. And source, God loves it when we use our gifts. That's why we're here. We're here to find our gifts and share them. And our gifts could be is our consciousness. How do we bless one another? How do we move upon this planet and encourage one another? Here's Olivia right here. Olivia's like this little dance queen. It's a kundalini dance. That's her ministry. You know, but she's had the courage to step up and say, this is what I want to do. This has such great value for me. And so, you know, she's come in and we move the chairs. It's a hassle to move these chairs. You found out, isn't it? I've set these chairs many times. I'll tell you, you talk about spiritual practice, forgiveness. Whew. I tell you. But that's just one sampling of it the gifts. We are blessed so we can be a blessing to others. And God in Genesis, God blesses Abraham. If you go back, you get the Bible, you read about Abraham, it's right at the beginning there, ladies. Anyway, because he was a he was the father of all the he was the father of all the traditions. He was a father of the Muslim tradition, the Jewish tradition, and the Christian tradition. They all go back to Abraham. But God blessed him, and he blessed him so he could make a difference. The kingdom of God is relationship. The kingdom of God is relationship. One of the pieces that we're bringing in with this mission-centric ministry is our spirit groups. We're going to launch them this year. We're, we're, we're getting started with it. We're going to um, take a stand for the season for nonviolence, which is independent of the, the spirit groups. But we're, we've booked a time at uh, City Hall. Where we've invited some people, movers and shakers in the community to be part of it. It's a whole program. It's been around 18 years, but we want to we launch this in Edmonton. It's, it's time to get outside the walls of this community and let people know what we stand for. And we'll talk more about that after Christmas. We'll get it up, ramped up and we're still putting the pieces together but we booked the venue. We're going to have an opening ceremony and a closing ceremony. It's 64 days of nonviolence. That's what we stand for. You don't have to be in any particular religion to stand for nonviolence. The kingdom of God is relationship. Our life needs to flow from a sense of joy and fulfillment. And we have this opportunity to stand in co-creation with source to impact the lives of others accountability is either a reward or a punishment. So he held the the first two guys accountable, and they did well and fulfilled the expectation, and he said, let's party. See, accountability can lead to a party. The first guy, what did he do? He says, "Ah, let's toss him off into the darkness and take what he's got and give it to somebody that can use it. So wouldn't it be great if we could just borrow one another's gifts? Well, we can't. They just go on the scrap heap. So did we come here to bury our gifts in the ground like the third guy? I don't think so. I don't think we did. Third guy making an excuse and blaming the guy, blaming the man. You're a crummy man. You're a bully. You're mean. Oh, okay. That's why you couldn't invest the money. why don't we accept our gifts and live our purpose I think because a lot of times we don't even know that's part of the plan so once again mimicking and, and, and uh, drawing on Dr. Gary Simmons who did you come here to be that's what the Q process does is it calls us up to a way of being a way of being in life and just like our, our, our mission statement here you have your own personal mission statement I came here to be this I didn't come here to bury my gifts I didn't come here to live small. I didn't come here to lie and blame and cheat. I didn't come here to, to not fulfill what I'm called to fulfill, be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Many people see God as a genie in a bottle or a vending machine. Let's say in affirmative prayer, let's see, and stuff's not happening. Well, that's not a real God. My stuff, good stuff's not coming into my life. It might take a little bit. It might take some practice. It might take some faith. It might take some commitment. To embrace conflict and broadcast peace. This is what the mystic, the modern-day mystic does. To embrace conflict. What's going on? Stand and let it blow over you. Wow, look at that. Holy cow. Wow. Wow. I had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago. They sat down in my office, and I had to have the conversation. It's part of my job. And I just asked the question, and they just started crying, just falling apart. And I said, "Man, I have complete empathy, compassion for you. My life, you know, life has those those challenges for us. And then when you have the conversation, it helps shift the energy, and you you can step into collaboration to help." Uh, a new possibility come forth. That's what we train our practitioners to do. And the last piece of this is that the the gifts, accountability, and the last piece is risk. Life is risk. There's risk in life. If we're going to get anything done in life, there's risk. It just is. I mean, big or small, however we measure it, there's risk management. I've been reminded of several times in the last several months and it's good but life is risk if you look at if you look at scripture it's all about people taking risk the story of the talents is these two guys all, all three of them taking risk even though the third guy fell short but there's risk involved if you look at the story of the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt risk if you look at the story of Mary Jesus's mother risk Joseph Jesus's father risk or of course many would say didn't need a father it was a virgin birth but okay but he was still risking his life by what he did but all of the stories if you look back look at the guys I mean whoever I know there's an. I haven't been in Edmonton my whole life but I know there was somebody that said you know we needed a professional hockey team here I know it's a kind of a silly example but someone took a risk to do that somebody put their money up many people have put their money towards things invested time and energy but it's all risk but that's life life is risk so i would ask you what is spirit calling you to risk what 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 is the challenge for you to risk that's for you to know that's for you and the the god of your making to decide maybe it's risking inviting someone that you don't know to come to the center you consider that a risk? I used to never want to bring anybody to the center because I loved what we were teaching but I wasn't living it well enough to say come to my, and then a friend of mine would see me not living what I took him to see and so it was like, no, I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna keep this a secret because I don't wanna see some, some people laughing. No, this is really good stuff but I'm not living it. So once I get it mastered, then I can invite my friends. Well, stop doing that. We're all works in progress. Then you can have a whole different conversation. But it is a risk risk taking a class, risk getting enrolled in the Q process. Who knows, there may be some wisdom there. There may be some wisdom there. And if there isn't, well, you, you risk a little bit of your time, a little bit of your money. And you go back to doing, doing it how you've done it all the way along. Dr. Holmes said this, he said, the opportunity for self-expression, oh, can we go back one slide? I think I've got this on a slide. I'm going to tell you about that, sweetie, there. The opportunity for self-expression and compensation is always open to me, and I am at all times compelled to know, accept, and operate upon this opportunity. I have abundance because I am abundance. All that the Father hath is mine. I was stumbling around in the wee hours this morning looking for my Science of Mind textbook, and I was gifted with this leather-bound Science of Mind textbook by the the, the Board of uh, Directors for uh, Religious Science International, CSL, I was on the board. And I, when I left the board, they gifted me with this. They autographed it. All the members were autographed and it. And it's this beautiful book. I opened it up. I'm like, wow. It's got the Science of Mind textbook in here. It's got the Concordance in here, which lines up keywords with things Dr. Holmes wrote. It's amazing. And in this beautiful book, it, there's a, the Sermon by the Sea that he did at Asilomar in 1959, August 15th. And he says this. It's probably why it's included here. He says, I do not believe life is separated from its living anywhere. There is nothing in the world that can take place of the love, friendship, appreciation, and cooperation in our lives. I have thought so much about this all week and because these are the only things that have any meaning in the eternal value in which we are so interested. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that it is very easy for us to maintain a spiritual equilibrium in solitude, But the great man is he who in the midst of the crowds shall still keep the sweetness, the independence of his solitude. I do not believe there's a single fact in human history or a single manifestation in the universe which is or could possibly be anything other than the manifestation of the one divine mind, the one universal presence, the one infinite spirit. God is all there is. And we, and we forget and we, we slide off the rails and we think there's something other than God happening. Even the bad stuff is God happening. It's the suffering that is required to get us to, to realize we don't have to suffer. And We don't have to live a life of limitation. That we have been given a gift and to take that gift and to, to, to multiply that gift to the great joy of the infinite. So this last slide I have with you today is, is uh, my granddaughter, Julia there she is. We're just going to flash her up there a little bit. Anyway, there's Julia Carroll. She came three months early. So she was born six months in the in the womb. And so um, on Wednesday night at our board meeting, we got a phone call and Laura had to leave early. Our, our daughter-in-law called and And so she left and I knew something was up because typically it's not an emergency, but she skedaddled and I got home and and her older sister, Audrey, is two years old and she came over because Audrey was demonstrating um, the, the stomach flu. And so she came over to Grandma and Grandpa's because Julia is scheduled for surgery on December 1st and if she gets stomach flu and she's been in and out of intensive care since she's been born. She's had trouble putting on weight. Um, a lot of her weight now. And she's so that tube you see going into her nose, that's her feeding tube because she's, um, she's not taking enough nutrients in to, to gain weight. And she has a couple holes in her heart. And so we have been hoping that she would, this would, they would heal on their own because a lot of times uh, premature babies have this condition, and they haven't. So anyway, she's scheduled for uh, heart surgery, open heart surgery on December 1st. So we brought her home. We brought Audrey over to our place, and so about 2.30 in the morning, Friday night, the spiritual leader of the Center for Spiritual Living started experiencing stomach flu. <laughs> and uh, that went on for a, a good number of hours, and Laura was doing the same. Um, but if, we'd had, if she hadn't come over, it would have put uh, Julia back into uh, intensive care and would have set the, the surgery back about another month, probably six weeks And she's struggling so much right now to get enough food, and because of the heart problems, she's not able to uh, take in the nutrients properly. So um, we didn't anticipate, because I'm a religious scientist, and I know affirmative prayer, and so I affirm perfect health for myself, and this child was coming over with the flu. And I still got the flu. But I'll tell you, I wouldn't have it any other way because um, the, the, the alternative was that we set this little one back here another six weeks and she really needs to get this procedure done. And so it was the best stomach flu I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I told my daughter-in-law that. I said, we wouldn't have wanted it other, uh, any other way. What else would we have done? I mean, we weren't anticipating that. But even if we knew that was gonna happen, we, it wouldn't have altered our decision. The reason I share it with you is that You know, it really is a a story of abundance. It's a story of more than enough. And um, I would just uh, ask for your your prayers. On December 1st, she's going to have her surgery. And we are expecting it to go tickety-boo. But uh, the more people that are holding the high watch for her as we go along, the better off we are. And it's truly a... uh, an experience of abundance, it's an experience of support, it's an experience of relationship and the kingdom of heaven is relationship. So when you come in the back today because I'm still coming off this experience with uh, this, this physical uh, experience I'm gonna fist pump you rather than hug you cause I don't wanna share this with anyone, leave me, ever. But uh, I thank you for your prayers, I thank you for being part of this uh, beautiful community and if you have time at one o'clock today, um, there's some some wonderful ideas that are going to be shared. We have a really great uh, board of trustees here that has looked at this model for months and uh, um, we are in agreement that this is a, a path that we'd like to follow and it seems to line up beautifully with what we stand for. And we're very blessed that uh, uh, Dr. Gary Simmons has made himself available to work with us as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for your prayers and support. And, uh, um, go, out and give them, go out and give them heaven. Blessings. Thank you. And so it is.